if you have management bosses that give you the trust and like, hey, I hired you because I trust you. You have skills. Now go explore those skills. We hire people for potential. Our job is not to just make them a molded package of the company. When you hire potential, your job is to turn that potential into gold. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for Demo Diaries today. I am joined by Saad Khan, who is the BDR manager at Enable. Saad, how are you? I'm doing really well, Jorge. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It was just really energizing talking to you a second ago. We got into some uh, philosophical stuff, which I like to do. And I don't think that I've gotten into any lately. So it's just been kind of like straight business. So I very much appreciate that. I love it as well. I'm a talker. So if somebody opens that can of worms for me, I'm in. Absolutely. I used to talk more. My dad started coaching me and saying, talk less, listen more. But, you know, it still comes out, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but anyways, why don't you tell folks a little bit about your career background? How'd you get into technology and, and now running you know, BDR teams? Yeah. Um, so I have a degree in marketing, actually. And I used to run away from sales. My dad actually runs a sales company back home in Pakistan. Um, so they're distributors for Epson, ABM, um, uh, yeah, ABM uh, Bixalon products. And I was always exposed to that side of selling that we don't like talking about. So unnaturally, naturally, I was kind of always swifting away from it, but then came here to university, started joining societies where most of my job was to be in front of people, talk to people and just, you know, and then I started doing some odd marketing jobs, some digital marketing. Um, So I, I saw, I I was a mortgage administrator at one point. And, and then the idea was always to try and find a way to get into tech. And one of the easiest ways to get into tech right now, and I don't, and I will say that it's not an easy way anymore. Um, It was through sales. And I was very, very, very lucky and grateful that my first sales job was at Clio. Clio is uh, a unicorn in the Canadian tech community. Mm. Clio is, I was, I hold it near and dear to my heart. Um, You know, those companies that say they empower people and trust people, Mm -hmm. everybody says it, but do they actually do it? Clio truly did. Mm. That turned me into a salesman. I started off there as an account executive. We did, um, I did full closing demoing. um, And then we had a strategic, we basically, it was skyrocketing through, uh, through the pandemic and they created a strategic BDR division. They did a bit of a split. I got moved to the strategic segment there, um, had some fun there, then got promoted to the mid-market segment, was able to build out my team there. Um, in that time, something very interesting happened. I had a manager that really opened my eye. His name was Bash Asari. He was a fan of Josh Braun. We all know Josh Braun on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. He exposed me to Josh Braun, the whole idea of meaningful deposits. He, he just asked me this one day, would you ever go to a job interview without getting called? I'm like, no. You have to apply. You have to send your resume. Would you ever go withdraw money from a bank account without having, you know, made deposits? No. How can you ask somebody for a meeting if you haven't, you know, built up that bank there? That clicked. That kind of that sales psychology, just that idea of it's more than just picking up a phone and talking. There's you can 
I don't, I like using this word. Maybe it's not the best way to express, describe it. It's powerful learning how to get into people's head, mm-hmm. but it's powerful to do it with good intent and do it in a good way. That was fun. Really learned my way around at Clio and then Enable came calling. Enable came at a time where I wasn't looking for things. I had a great 2020 at Clio. The business was just skyrocketing. But then I got presented with an opportunity. Enable is a UK-based company. They've been around for 15 years. And then organically, one of their products, they used to create softwares for um, supply chain companies. Their product, Enable, which was used to call deal track, gained so much traction that a CEO, sorry, CFO of one of their buyers, who is our CFO now, Nick Rose, he basically came to Enable, said, hey, you've hit something on the nail here. More people want it. Let's get it out to the people. Um, so that was two years ago. Enable got their Series A within the last year. And this year, they decided to expand into Toronto. We do have offices in San Francisco. And Toronto is going to be Enable's uh, sales hub. I asked my president why. He said that the average life cycle for sales companies, sales reps in the US are up to nine months. And uh, for Canadians, it's up to double that amount. I was like, okay, that's very interesting. So I was basically presented an opportunity to create my own sales team, set up an office here, um, help build out strategy for Enable. Was I ready for it? Maybe not. Was I prepared for it? Did I condition myself for it? Did I always want it? Yeah. I just jumped onto that opportunity. That was my idea of manifestation. Like I was always waiting for that and ready for it. And when it came about, it came about. So it's a really fun time right now. It's stressful, it's challenging, but it's fun. Getting to make a lot of mistakes, getting to learn. It's a lot of fun. So the company is about two years old now or the spinoff? Yeah. So as a SaaS model, it's about two two to three years old. Um, And uh, yeah, we love series A traction coming in. We We have plans to go to Napa Valley for a president's club this year. So. (laughs) <laughs> hoping for all of us to make that happen and then end up there. Nice. Well, you know, I have to say, and this is not just me brown nosing uh, my current employer, but, you know, cause I'm, I try not to be a bullshit artist sometimes, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, you know, that probably comes more in my personal life. You know, you don't want to tell your dad something that's going to like worry him all night or, or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I got to say that, like, I am feeling the same way about reprise. This is a place that really empowers you. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, in most companies that I've worked for, I haven't felt like that. So I, I probably said that publicly a couple of times, but it's, yeah. it really is true. And you can see the, the proof is in the pudding. You've met. Joe. It is. Yeah. I've met Joe and I see what you're doing right now. This this idea, this method of relationship building and selling, the tech community is small. We all, we all have stories. Salespeople, they're there, but like they're there for a reason. They've gone through things or they're just hungry. And I will say this, people think that motivated people have, they go through something in life. Man, like some motivated, like you can self-motivate. You can absolutely always have a, you're allowed to have a good childhood. You're allowed to be motivated. You're allowed to be self-motivated. So, and if you have that, and if you have management bosses that give you the trust and like, hey, I hired you because I trust you, you have skills, now go explore those skills. We hire people for potential. Our job is not to just make them a molded package of the company. When you hire potential, your job is to turn that potential into gold. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's you're just speaking my language, man, because that's how I always felt about 
well, just every role, but particularly like my SDRs or BDRs coming out of college, mm-hmm. I'd sit there and be like, tell me what you want to do in your life. Like, yeah. I, you know, I don't care about the technical stuff. I don't care if you got an A or whatever, yeah. you know, or B. Now, if you have a D or an F, you know, it's like, what happened there? Like, that tells me more like, you know, I in know Canada, not- we don't, we don't put grades on our transcripts in Canada. So that's easy. That's, that's a good awesome. content. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if it still happens here. It's been, uh, I don't know how many years now yeah, since yeah, I finished yeah. college, but, but yeah, no, that totally resonates. Speaking of hiring, you know, we all want to recruit high performing BDRs, right. That, yeah. that are really going to not only just hit their numbers, but care, what are some of the things that you've seen work for you and some of the channels that you've been able to source great candidates from? So interestingly enough, I will say that people don't like sometimes uh, working with headhunters or recruiters, but just like good salespeople, and there's a lot of them, there's good sales headhunters out there as well. So I have to owe a lot to um, Claire McConaughey from Salesforce Search. She she came to me, but she also presented to me um, all the candidates that I had the pleasure of interviewing and of course that are part of my team. And you just said it. Everybody has a personality. Nobody, nobody, Jorge, nobody likes a corporate version of you. There's so, there's like so many of those same ilk out yeah. there. Yep. So and I was robots. looking, for, yeah, yeah. I was looking for non-robots. Like at my old company, when I was selling to lawyers, I used to tell them that, hey, we're, we might not be the most professional, but we know how to do our job and we know how to do our job really well. And same thing I wanted to bring over to Enable into when, when I was hiring my team. I'm a kind of an out-of-the-box character, but I like my job. I'm very obsessed and dedicated with my job. I wanted to find people who have not about the job, who are, who have those personality traits, who are lively, who are out-of-the-box characters, who just that raw material I could process into, not a version of me, whatever version of themselves they want to be. Mm. You were saying something. Well, I, I just, I had a question for you. Yeah. I've always been like a incredibly motivated person and I would literally work whatever it took, work 24 hours a day, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think some people would have probably categorized me as like a brute force, you know, just doer, push it down the, or up the mountain, I should say, you know, hustler kind of person. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I expected that from myself for, for a very long time. And then, you know, when I was getting closer to my like late thirties, I started to realize that, you know, I was changing and, Mm -hmm. you know, there was this idea in in sales. I remember where like the more mature salespeople would work smarter, not harder. And I, and I, I sort of struggled with that idea, like particularly like, you know, within a sales role, because I know, you know, sales can be very performance driven, right? Like whether you know your stuff or not, like if you make enough calls, the law of averages will, you know, generally work themselves out. Now, you know, is that a good thing? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it depends. So that, that's why when, you know, when we, when we think about high performing people who really want it, want to grind out, I think that early on in your career, you know, that, or in your role, like that's definitely something you have to do. You got to knock on those doors and understand the objections and know what it feels like to get punched in the face a, th- a thousand times. 
But one of the things that I asked myself is how do I actually get smarter over yeah. time so I can quadruple my, per, my performance, but also take care of self as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. What you just said really, really hits on the nail something that I, you can, you're, there's always going to be people more skilled than you. Always. There's always going to be somebody who's going to come in. They're just a natural. You can't control that as a rep. What you can control, I'm also a sucker for hard work. Even the background that I come from, I'm a sucker for hard work. You create your luck if you're a hard worker. And, and I just tell my reps as well, I'm like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm never going to come to you and ask you about your numbers. I know you're thinking about them. How am I being productive to you if a conversation is like, oh, what, what's your numbers? Mm-hmm. Every rep, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. I've had managers who don't think that, who have not th- thought that way in the past. Like the, you've been in that exact same position where you're worried about your numbers. How am I making it any better for you when I'm coming to you? Be like, hey, what's where's your number at? I know you're already worried about that. I'd rather have other conversations. I I hired you. I trusted you. I trust your potential. So do you? And the other thing that you said is, people say you have to operate in a certain way. You know, you have to work hard to get this and get that. Sure, but. Are, is that coming from, oh, is this, we, we just hear it all the time. Is it expansive thinking or is there actual logic behind it? You know how people say real G's move in silence. Mm-hmm. I'm not one to call myself real G. I just, I've never moved in silence. I've, yeah. I've never wanted to be fixed in a box, a square peg in a round hole. That's how I generally feel when I'm giving some certain instructions sometimes. Like you're square pegging me in a round hole. Mm-hmm. And to close the loop on that, the best thing about it is, you like to work hard, you become a grafter. You like to cold call, you master that craft. Turn a weakness to strength and strength to second nature. I'll help you get to other channels. If you're good at this, please, you do you. My job is to let you go on your flow and then I'll give you something additional to add on to. Like Batman's tool belt, he has so yeah. many things on there, billions worth of dollars worth. He's not throwing everything at everybody. Yeah. Experience, yeah, coaching, learning, strategic, yeah. And you just said it, but you, how do you get strategic? You have to learn how to work hard. Then you have to learn how to work smart. You can't just jump the gun. Yeah. Well, speaking of work, like what is the BDR's day-to-day look like today? And the reason why I ask is, you know, I remember when I was a BDR, this was about 13 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember being, you know, doing, doing the, the cold calling and I, I had the business development rep. So uh, I know SDR came out later on, Yeah, but you know, I sent emails and picked up the phone all day and night. There was no social, there was no video. That's all I did. And I remember my most effective emails were the one-liners like, hi, Bill, who would I speak to about social media software initiatives? Of course we were selling uh, social media management software at that time. It was early. It was, you know, Greenfield, um, market opportunity. And so, you know, so, so that's kind of what I, what I had learned. And when I was launching my last startup, I was doing everything right. I was one of the founders and, and I was owning sales. So I, and I started to do prospecting and I was hitting a wall. I was hitting a wall, I was hitting a wall. We ended up never figuring out how to do you know, email base or like SDR work, we ended up generating revenue uh, another way or generating leads, I should say another way. Uh, but eventually if the company would have survived, we would have had to figure that out. What does the BDR look like today? What is, what is their sort of toolkit speaking of Batman yeah. today? I say it with all due respect. 
and maybe some BDRs are going to hate me for this, but I think it's easier to be a BDR today. But it's because there's just, okay, no, I take that back. It's easier because there's just a lot of channels to hit. Somebody back in the day reached out to people on LinkedIn and made that a thing. Ryan Solcare actually used to do that as well as one of his old jobs. We were speaking about him earlier, our friend from Dooley. Um, so the BDR's job to, uh, day-to-day is uh, not just calling anymore. It's not just emailing anymore. Social has really allowed people to do them, become you. I love Vidyard prospecting. I love Vidyard work. Now, if somebody's opening, if somebody's visiting my uh, LinkedIn page, I'm not even sending them a message. I'm just quickly recording a video and sending that in. I'm getting, hey, I appreciate your approach. And where I got that from, our enablement leader, Lisa Song Patak, she had actually worked with John Barrows and Morgan J. Ingram previously at her old company. Mm-hmm. And recently she visited Morgan's profile and then he replied back. He just sent her a video of, hey, Lisa, it's been a while. We know we've worked before, et cetera, et cetera. I know you're busy at your new company. So if you need anything, that it's like eureka moment, like the simple effective, it gets the message across. It also puts a face to the word and the name. So, so if, if you ask me what the BDR's job looks like today, it's mastering all these channels. Mm. That's your job. It's mastering video. It's mastering LinkedIn. It's, LinkedIn is just gold right now. Mm. If people are staying away from LinkedIn, you're missing out. Mm. Your entire ICP is there. Mm. You just have to, and people think so much about numbers. Oh, what do I say to CFOs? What do I say to what numbers? These CFOs, when the title is not there, they're human beings. They like being talked the exact same way you like being talked to. They buy the exact same way you buy. So what if we don't think about that numbers that really bogged down a program when you have to think so hard about personalization. What if you just get in front of them? Mm. Awesome. So what about that's, content? Yeah. Like content creation? Do you, do you give like a quota? I remember Mark Robert is a good friend of mine. He was the first head of sales over at HubSpot and, and he's actually an engineer. He's an MIT mm-hmm. engineer. And so he looked at it in a, like, sales in a very, very unique way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that he had was he had a content quota for mm-hmm. his reps. So like, interesting, it was like a couple times a week, they had to create content and put it out there. I think that was sort of, you know, the, some of the early beginnings of social selling now. Yeah. Are your reps like creating content uh, as part of the plan? Interesting. So we do have a video. We do have a video quota. We awesome. we have a cadence set out. We just got video pro recently, and again, in the last year, within the last year, content creation and the value of social selling has gone up. Why? Mm-hmm. Everybody's online. Everybody's personalizing. Not everybody's doing it well. So that art of personalization. If I go somebody, oh, I personalized really well. I'm like, do you? I got a personalized email. So then the conversation becomes who's personalizing well, who has the best gift, who has the best subject line. So let's step away from that for a second. We're still doing that. We're going to go that. But we know video is shooting through. We know video prospecting is the thing. And it's so simple. Just get in front of people. It makes it easier for your message to be understood. 
I can say all those things in a message, but what if I'm smiling to you? What if I'm showing you my intent genuinely? So our team, we're focusing on Bidyard quite a bit in terms of content creation. Um, everybody has metrics weekly uh, to, actually we have daily metrics as the, to a certain point. And then of course it has to aggregate out at the end of the month. Um, we're tracking that. Some people are a little more boxed in with it. One of my reps, his name is Jack. He knows how to create a green screen on Vidyard and he just really, it's up to his imagination. Um, I know how I've taught my team how to just warp text on any web page. You just highlight, inspect, and change it to whatever you want to be. I can, if your website, if your website says rep reprise on the banner, just a quick example, Jorge, welcome to reprise. Just small little bits of it. And then my, one of my, one of the reps who I truly think epitomizes the BDR game right now, his name is Matt Perro. He probably has the most props in his house I have ever seen somebody have. So enable sales to procurement uh, supply chain teams. It's a rebate management system. So it's all about any and every product. So he was prospecting into a mining company. He had a shovel and in the 40 second video, he's like, Oh, is that difficult to find, uh, you know, your rebase and your term deals and just, you know, he just, he just created a link between mining and mining companies and whatnot. Again, small example, but he had quite a bit of those and that's the kind of ingenuity. Yeah. Give the guy his credit. That's the kind of ingenuity that we want today. It's not boring. It's catching attention. People don't like, uh, not people don't like. I think people buy it from people they trust, but more importantly, people they like. It's mm. just, you know, that I don't know if you've heard of Malcolm Gladwell. He, yeah, he, he got a, his book, Blink. It, it's gut instinct. It, it takes up to 10 to 15 seconds to look at somebody and just, you know, you're my type, you're not my type. I can speak with you. I cannot speak with you. Mm. So if everything in life is about psychology, if everything in life is about being simple and human, and I like to think in high performing as human and high performing, then why don't we just let them be human and see how, you know, how the performances take up? Awesome. Well, speaking of performance, you know, we have this remote world right now and I've been asking folks quite a bit what their opinion is on this and, you know, I've gotten, you know, pretty consistent answers, but now that we have to manage, particularly in your case, BDRs and, you know, we might have folks who are straight out of college or more junior reps in these roles how do you manage these folks remotely now when you never see them in person? You don't really know what they're doing on a, on a daily basis, right? I, I heard from one of uh, the revenue leaders a couple of weeks ago that I know quite well out, out in Austin. He was like, well, I literally have them like, like on their calendar, put what they're doing and even their busy work. You know, I thought about that. I was like, no, I, I understood. I understood what he was doing. I, I don't know how much folks are going to, you know, appreciate the manager, like scanning their calendars every day, or maybe it creates some sort of like big brother, big sister kind of uh, effect. But, you know, there's been a variety of different tactics that yeah. leaders out there have been deploying to be able to help their, their reps. Yeah. Anything that you're seeing that, that you've seen has been effective. I can, all right. I can only talk with all due respect to everybody. Um, we're all the same, but we're different in our own ways. So I've just never worked well with micromanagement of any kind. Mm -hmm. Just genuinely no kind. Me neither. <laughs> I, it's bad. Maybe I have a bit of an ego and I'm not good with dealing with it. But at the same time, 
I, the max I've done with them, I've just given them two call blocks on their calendar that I've made compulsory, one of one hour in the morning and one of two hours in the afternoon. And I've told them like, hey, if you have to hit 50 dials a day, you can get 10 to 15 done in one block and then up to, up to 15 to 20 in the other. So if you're getting most of your work done in those three hours block and you need to make 20 more dials throughout the day, then I should not be worried. I have nothing to worry about. So yes, some form of, some form of, but that idea of call blocking is a discipline, not a micromanagement thing. Mm -hmm. I don't check their metrics. They know their metrics for the week. They all know it. I don't check their metrics. In a one-to-one, they be like, oh, as you can see, my calls are a little low. I don't check it. Well, I do. I don't tell them I do. And they were like, oh, I know you looked at it. I'm like, haha, yeah, I do. I did look at it. I don't look at it till the end of day. They're booking conversions. They're booking demos. And I genuinely trust them. A lot of my team is getting so much things off of LinkedIn, but we're not tracking that. Mm-hmm. It's not on dashboard. Yeah. Right. So, and then I personally, if I don't like being boxed in, how can I give you a box that I don't want to be in myself. (laughs) I've never, I've never hired or managed a team remotely before this before when I was at Clio, I had all, so some of my coworkers are my best friends. Some of my old managers are some of my closest mentors. And I was only able to create that because we all worked hard. We all trusted each other. We all respected each other. And just an environment was created around us. And then when you went remote, it just became very organic. So for me, the biggest challenge was how do I create this environment without having never been around them? Mm. I just started giving them a lot of personal time, just started genuinely wanting to personally connect with them. They're not that, I'm, I'm 27, 28 years old. They're not that far off from me in my age, maybe six, seven years, a little bit, not, some are um, closer. So genuine respect and trust, and I'm trying my best to empower them having real meaningful conversations, not metric conversations. I'm genuinely interested in what's motivating them. I genuinely want to know where they want to be. Somebody was like, is this too early to have this conversation? I'm like, no, you're going to hit quota. That's on your contract. What's motivating you past that? Absolutely. Uh, By the way, are your reps doing qualification only, your BDRs, and then handing off to the AE to, to do the demos and to take it on? Like the yeah. rest of the the, yeah. the, uh, the sales engagement. So awesome. we, we go up to two stages of uh, an initial discovery and then a deep dive discovery to um, obviously get a demo set up. Um, so that's where the handoff uh, is completed. We do encourage reps to sit on demos and yeah, absolutely all of them do sit on demos. Um, so that's that for now. But previously, actually, at my old company, there was more of a my old AR role was more of a BDR role where you were doing your old prospecting, you were doing your old demo, you're doing your old closing. I'm actually very in line with that because I was hands-on with the product. It's like trial by fire. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good way to understand. And even being remote, if there's one thing I, I wish I could have given the, the reps would have been just more time, just not virtual shadowing, just sitting next to an AE who's shadowing, just even trying to, sorry, demoing, and even trying to get that on. So it's an interesting time. It's an interesting situation as well where BDRs, I, I also don't like the whole idea that the BDR role is an entry-level role. It's not, it's, it's kind of given its own little back corner. The first, if, if the first impression is the last impression, then why is not the first call the last call? True. True. 
Wow. So thank you so much. You know, I, I guess if, if you're trying to give a BDR leader one tip around driving performance, something that they can apply like next week, what would yeah. that tip be? Genuinely help for the sake of genuinely wanting to help and try and get in your rep's head and see what understand their what and their why and then find out if you can help them genuinely we always think from the business point of view we got to hit quota but then what if we can think from the reps point of view everybody wants to hit quota but like it's not a good answer but like try and get into their head in a very genuine way connect with them i care about my family i want to do right by them not for them Absolutely. If, if if a rep and manager have that relationship and Maybe it's not a good advice, but no, I think why it, not? I mean, it's probably I'm the same way. To do. Yeah. yeah, I'm the same way, right? Like that's how I ran my sales teams. I didn't care about the numbers, uh, their busy work stuff. You know, they knew that those busy work activities led to outcomes that we cared yeah. about as an organization. If they didn't care enough to do that, it's like walking, right? Like you're going to yeah. walk up a, a flight of stairs to get to a room you know, you can't jump. Well, unless you're like Spider-Man or yeah. something, but you know what I mean? You can't, you know, you got to like actually walk up the steps to get there. What do we care about? Yeah. Well, getting to the top. Well, so we got to go through the work, right? So I'm with you. For me, it was all about relationships and I genuinely cared if someone was, was off. I really did. And if, yeah. if anyone in, in my career ever felt like I was not a good manager or didn't care about them, that was definitely like not intentional. So, so I'm what I'm you just you. What you just said is the most important thing. So the actual advice is this. This job is so psychological. A part of us, a part of our psychology, or a full part of our psychology has to do with how our relationships are going, how our family is, how our friends are, especially since the pandemic has happened. So a good manager should be able to give their reps that 5%, 10% more that's been taken away from just all those things happening in life. Because if you get on the phone, that 5 or 10% more on the phone, like it's if you're in a good vibe, if you're in a good, if you hit quota, you get a conversion. The next call you're on is probably the best call you've ever done. You just fully there. You're fully there. Fully so if there. we, we collectively can help them be there fully. It does not people, people think that change has to be big. You don't have to make or break something. What about the small little tweaks day by day that compound Bradley Wiggins, British tour de France cyclist, um, before he joined the British Tour de France team, they weren't winning anything. Before that, they were changing bikes, tires, all that stuff. He started tweaking small little things, putting grease on front pedals, tires as compared to the back, shaving his legs and putting Vaseline some days. In racing, you get better by your lap times going down in seconds. That magnified for the entire team. Bradley Wiggins did not just go on to win the Tour de France. The British team went on to win for seven years straight. Amazing. Small, sometimes small things can go a really long way. It's the inches. I used to show the Al Pacino clip of on any given Sunday that life was a game of inches. And I used to say yeah. sales was a game of inches, right? It's yeah. that extra call. It's that, you know, that, that extra care, you know, yeah. that extra heart yeah. in yeah. the conversation. So anyways, Saad, thank you so much for your time. If folks want to follow you on social media, I'm guessing LinkedIn is going to be the best 
channel? LinkedIn is definitely the best channel. This is a, we're, we're, we'll keep it professional here. By all means, you know, I'm always open for conversations. If you guys want to follow my DJ moniker, DJ Saad. Oh, on yeah. Instagram. The, yeah. Where, where, how can they uh, follow your DJ? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's I-R-A-R-E, like I-A-R-E Saad. Um, I picked up DJing during the pandemic. That was my way of uh, <laughs> keeping... I don't know, keeping it going yeah, within the last year. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Having out that energy for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, Jorge, honestly, it's been a pleasure. I must Absolutely. Say. Thank you so much. I hope to meet you in person at Likewise. some point. I, I got to come up to Toronto. I have quite a few friends up there. You know, of course, SAS is big in, in that area. Yeah. People forget Waterloo is one of the best schools Black, in the world. Blackberry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Blackberry I mean, is there, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've actually worked with quite a few Waterloo grads, some of the yeah. best engineers also period in the world. And I think they're like engineers who are very entrepreneurial. And yeah. I think that's I agree. that really makes them fantastic. There's a lot of very, very cool things happening in Toronto and the tech community. And when the world opens up, the tech community is very small. Mm-hmm. I love connecting with people. I've been that's also one other thing that I've been doing throughout the pandemic. So I'm very excited to, I have a lot of friends in Miami now, including you. So A, I'm you excited to go. Down, I absolutely will, my friend. And B, I cannot wait to start hosting my, just, you know, my friends, my network in the tech community to come in Toronto and see what we're about. Besides the weather, it's, it's a great city. It's a really great city. Well, I'm heading up content and community. And so yeah. community encompasses events. So we'll see if we can uh, get the, uh, the team to, to come out there when, when the time is right. I'm sure, I'm sure that time will come. Awesome. Well, have a great afternoon and uh, we'll talk soon. You as well, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.